it's important before we dive into the Ten Commandments and these tabernacle ordinances to remember how it is that we got to this point. We're giving a seven-week sermon series on the big stories of the Old Testament. We've come from creation, from God's calling of Abram, from the Exodus, here to the giving of the law, the setup of the tabernacle. Next week, we'll continue on to King David and the nation of Israel. And just for a teaser, Father Paul the founding pastor and priest of this church, St. Augustine's, will be preaching next week. So make sure you come on back. (laughs) As for where we are today, these rules reveal an important facet of who God is and his relationship with his people. And it's just as important to remember as we read and reflect on these passages, that it is about that community, God's people. So something has already happened before these rules are set down literally in stone. God has taken on, has committed himself to, and thrown his lot in with this particular people. We read about this covenant that God made, this promise God made to his people, Israel, two weeks ago in the calling of Abram. God took Abram from his family's land and decided to use him to establish a new family, a new people of God. And if anything went wrong with this people that God was creating and gathering out of nothing, this newly established community, God took the consequences on himself. Do you remember? God walked through the sacrifice that was given. Not Abram, not the people. God said in that action that all the consequences for anything that went sideways was on his own shoulders. Nothing was going to fall on the people. Nothing was going to destroy this group, obliviate them from the earth. Indeed, this people who would be called Israel, the name means God will win. Any consequence will fall on God. He, God, will not be bested by anything, even death. So now we come to the Ten Commandments and to the tabernacle. In this part of the story of Exodus, God has separated his people again. He separates out Abram in Genesis 12, and here in Exodus 20, at the end of the 12 plagues, he separates his people out once again. He's pulled them out of Egypt, where they've been enslaved, where they'd been put under oppression, out of no fault of their own. And God brings them to this holy mountain, this place set apart from civilization. It's a place that's quiet, remote. It's a place where the people can see and hear what it is that God is doing and what he's saying. They're all alone, but alone together. 
Moses leads them out, having just undertaken those terrible 12 miraculous plagues, these terrible miracles that show God's mighty power, as well as showing his great mercy for those who recognize and ascribe that power to God. Still trembling, as I imagine the Israelites must have been, with the images of these miracles burned in their memories, the people of God find themselves in the wilderness at the foot of this holy mountain. And the great and terrible miracles are not over yet. For in today's reading, we hear of tempest and roiling clouds and mighty wind, lightning and thunder. There can be no doubt that Almighty God is meeting his people here. So as we approach today's passage, the thing that's already happened is that God has circled his people up. He's addressing just them, just his children, only those who are called by his name and identified as his family. These rules, these commandments and laws and ordinances about the tabernacle are not the way that you get into the fold, not the entrance test to become a child of God. God has already made that cut. And guess what? You made the cut. Anybody can make this cut of being part of God's people. These commands are not some sort of ethical test to grant you admittance or to let you become part of the family. The laws of Israel have been used that way in the past. Rules and laws of so many kinds are still used that way today. In Jesus' day, the religious elites lorded over others which laws they were able to abide by and which laws, made, if you broke them, made you a bad, bad person who couldn't hope to become a child of God. Do you see that the laws aren't what hold you back from being close to God or from belonging to God? Whether it's back with Moses in the book of Exodus, with Jesus in the first century of this common era, or here this morning in Oak Cliff on Keast Boulevard. Keeping or breaking a law or a rule or an ordinance or committing a sin, these things do not separate us from the love of God. They cannot break the covenant that God has made with his people the covenant that says that you belong. Brothers and sisters, please hear me, hear God this morning. You belong, full stop. Jesus opened his arms wide upon the cross that everyone might come within the reach of his saving embrace. There is no one who does not belong. There is no one who is not accepted or acceptable. There's no way to get outside the love of God. That is not what these laws are for. These laws are a gift. 
Because, second, if we are already citizens of God's kingdom, if we are loved and accepted by this God made known in Jesus Christ, if we are justified by his sacrifice, if we know him to be the Lord, the ruler, the king, the savior, now what? That is where the Israelites were when we find them this morning in Exodus 20. We have decided to follow Jesus. We have put all of our trust in his grace and his love. We have responded to God's call to let him be the Lord of our lives. And now he calls us out of slavery to sin, calls us out of blindness and conformity, calls us out of comfort and out of twilight into a new life. A new life as his children, as his people, as the place where he chooses to live and to dwell, as the reflection and revelation of his truth, the truth, the truth about the world, about all creation. So let us sit in our minds with the Israelites brothers and sisters, as we are with them, and hear again the call that God speaks to each one of our hearts, and not only to each one of us as an individual or a person, but, with more of that holy trembling, speaks to us as a community, as a people of God, a body made up of many parts, people who belong to and with one another, who are responsible for each other, who love one another not only with our words, but also our actions, and love one another not only in the people in the pews around us, but even our messy neighbors who leave their trash on our lawn, our annoying coworkers who chew very loudly, our exasperating in-laws, even our impossible exes. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery and bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. When I reach for my cell phone before I even get out of bed in the morning, sometimes the Holy Spirit asks me, Who is Lord, Emily? And sometimes when my thoughts turn obsessively toward sweets, the Holy Spirit will say, Who is it that will nourish your hunger? And once in a while, when the voices talk down to me in my head, telling me that I am worthless, the Holy Spirit will prompt, But to whom, Emily, do you belong? 
all of these instances and those which populate your own lives, your own minds, your own moments of temptation, of doubt, moments of frustration, of feeling alone. They are times when we butt right up against this commandment. No gods before me. We, the people of God, live in the freedom, the truth, that there is no other God, no other commander, no other voice which we ought to obey, no other truth which we are obliged to consider, no other food that we need to thrive than the very word of God that is our Lord and Master made known in the person of Jesus Christ. It's not the rules that make God's people to be a nation or to be a community. It is God's own choosing, God's own call. We, in turn, our turn, submit to these commands of our Lord because they are the way of life, the words of life. Salvation, joy, freedom is found in no one else. We ascribe to the order that they afford because they are the path of light, illumined by the lantern as we prayed in the psalm this morning. We cling to this freedom because they are light. We choose this path because it is the joy of our hearts. These commands are less a chastening rod and more the marks, the identifiers of a people who have covenanted, who have promised to seek God, to love God, and to serve this God. Throughout history, there are examples again and again of communities and of people who have tried and failed to keep these commands, to write them on their hearts, to keep them at the forefront of their minds. But we see also, brothers and sisters, examples again and again of communities and of people who have been lighthouses built by God to guide his people to himself. There are the atrocities of the Holocaust. And there is the story of Corrie Ten Boom and her family who stood against those who would collect and kill God's chosen people. There's the story of Le Chambon, the community in southern France, which secreted thousands of Jewish children to safety in Switzerland during that exact same time. We, as God's people, chosen by God's own grace, chosen by his love, chosen by his sacrifice. We are called to live as God's people by loving his name, by trusting the truth of his 
commands. By letting our lives be turned upside down, made inside out, to bloom into something new, made into a transformed truth, living together with all of God's people, making him to be the Lord of our lives, the perfecter of our faith. Brothers and sisters, may we find the words of God's law, the wisdom which he has so obligingly bestowed upon us to be the words of light and of life, to be the way of peace and of joy, to be the path of eternal life. Amen. Amen.